said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I'm a, I'm a sports guy. Uh, I know we're not all sports uh, guys or sports people, better said. Uh, and I'm learning to diversify my hobbies and my appreciations of things that go beyond sports. I wanted to be a sports commentator and went to school for that initially and yada, yada. And so my wife, over the last 13 years of our marriage, has taught me a good bit about music, uh, a good bit about plays um, and things that I wouldn't typically enjoy. And uh, Wesley Terpstra, I've, I've mentioned him before, one of our elders has taught me a good bit about art. And so we went to the High Museum with him and Ashley uh, a couple years ago, and, and just my mind was blown uh, about art. I just, I remember growing up, my mom's in here, but I remember growing up, I've shared this before, uh, but we would go to the High Museum and she would just cry looking at these pieces of art. I'm just like waiting to go get my Coca-Cola afterwards, you know, like it was just this tension we both felt as we navigated through our time at the high. So I had a very low understanding of an appreciation for art and, and Wesley's helped me with that. And so recently he introduced me to an artist and the artist's name is Henry Oswald Tanner. So Henry Oswald Tanner is a, an American artist, first African-American painter to gain international acclaim. And he would, uh, frequently depict biblical scenes. And there's two that he depicted in Luke 1 and 2 I wanted to show to you. The first one in Luke 1 is this is of Mary receiving the encounter from the angel. And so it kind of gives us a, a picture of what's happening with this sweet, innocent girl, teenage girl, and this angel encounter. And whatever that looked like, that's what he depicted it to be. And then in Luke 2, he provides another piece of art of the encounter of the shepherds that we just read. And so if we want to look at this for just a minute, I'm not going to say, I'm not an art professor, but I guess maybe I am a little bit. Uh, and so there's three shadowy angels on the left side. Those are angels that we see there. Uh, the, the shepherds are the bottom right. They're almost ant-like, much smaller uh, in the frame of this piece of art. We got symphonies of, of blue that are kind of creating this mysterious uh, moment that's happening on this dark night. Um, there's grandeur in this. There's, uh, there's kind of this majestic encounter. These angels are not like the angel that Mary encountered in the first piece of art. These are much more uh, majestic in nature. And that's what the the artist is trying to communicate to us, because what we find as we see the encounter in Luke 2, that these shepherds, these blue-collar shepherds, were filled with great fear. And so what I want us to do as we spend our time together is I want to look at kind of four movements that took place in the text we just read. And I want us to behold each one of these movements, um, considering what's happening, and behold them together. So the first... I want us to behold the angelic encounter, to behold the angelic encounter. So we have the angel of the Lord uh, appeared to these shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around this moment, these angels. You know, we're, we're living within the cultural moment of an enlightened, postmodern, in some ways moving towards post-Christian day, and we struggle 
to imagine the supernatural. For many of us and the things we listen to unintentionally, the things that we are learning, we oftentimes can read this story and be like, that, that's so archaic. That's so first century, but that couldn't happen uh, today. We struggle to imagine the supernatural. We are, are too far along the path of prog- progress to give credence to a life-altering moment like this. But man, we're spiritual beings. We were made for more than our nine-to-five job that we have. And they, they are caught up, these shepherds are caught up in this bigger moment. These blue-collar shepherds encounter this angel, and it says that they are filled with great fear. Now, these shepherds, you got to think about them for a little bit. These guys are tougher than us, okay? They're a little bit tougher than us. Some of us are city folk in here, and some of us are country folk. Um, some of us split wood for our fires, and some of us buy split wood for our fires, um, some of us have rugged trucks. Some of us, like myself, have a city truck. And so we're different. These guys are tougher than us. To be a shepherd implies a lot of things. It means that their hands are super calloused. It means that they smelt like barn animals. It means that they were fit. They were jacked as they walked up and down the hills of Bethlehem, picking up sheep as they did their third shift job, which meant that they were also willing and able to defend their sheep from animals that would attack. It's assumed that these guys likely killed animals that we like to see at the zoo, but we're not interested in coming face to face with. But these guys did. They were uh, not like us in that way. Not much scared these guys, yet they freaked out in this moment. They were filled, it says, with great fear. These supernatural angels shook them to their core, filled with great fear, this angelic encounter. Some fears are external for us. Some fears include protecting our life. Some uh, fears include protecting ones we love. Some fears include avoiding someone that might scare you when you turn the corner, or maybe some fears include trying to avoid clowns from popping up in movies that you watch. And so those are external fears that we have. We also have internal fears, and those oftentimes drive us more than the external ones do. So what are some of the things we fear? The list is lengthy, and and I'm not going to read your mail. uh, By What I mean by that is knowing you personally and and sharing those things here. That's not what I would do. But the list is lengthy, and I would love to name a few of them. Uh, We have a fear of missing out. That's kind of surface level. We like to do things or don't commit to certain things because we have a fear of missing out. We have a fear of better options, which is why things like Black Friday are really painful for us. Um, Those have their place. But if we want to get a little deeper, and this kind of hits us to the core, we have a fear of being unlovable. We have a fear of being rejected. We have a fear of feeling too broken to be fixed. We have a fear of not having what it takes, a fear of uh, being lonely. We have a fear of the future, a fear of what's unknown. We have a fear of making the wrong decision, fear of death. I mean, guys, we live in a generation that's consumed with fear, and then you add to it the amount of knowledge that we have before us. We have so much knowledge with our devices in front of us, and now we have fears plus all of this knowledge and no power to do with the knowledge that we have, and it's crippling. We live in a generation consumed with fear. So behold, the first angelic encounter, we find that these guys are filled with fear, leads to our second moment, which is uh, this, behold the message. The encounter was leading 
to a moment. And in the moment we see in Luke 2.10, fear not, it says, for behold, I, I angel, bring you good news of great joy that is for all the people, it says. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The message is fear not. The message of the Christmas story is the good news of Jesus and that he has the power by the Spirit to transform our fears. That's the message of the Christmas story, that he didn't just come to make bad people good. It's just a moral understanding of Christianity that's not true. He didn't just come to make bad people good. He came to bring transformation to our lives. He came to bring what's dead to life. Jesus came for much more than just making bad people good. See, the message provides hope and comfort amidst your fears. Emmanuel has come. See, when the message of Jesus goes from our head to our heart, it actually transforms the fears that we have says, fear not, do not be afraid. So the Christmas story uh, has layered within it in the Gospel of Luke a understanding or a message of fear not. In Luke 1, we see that when the angel appears to Zechariah, the first thing that the angel says is, do not be afraid, Zechariah. And then when the angel encounters Mary, what are the first words that the angel says to Mary? Do not be afraid, Mary. And then when the angels encounter the shepherds, what are the first words that the angel says to the shepherds? Fear not. And is that intentional? Of course it is. Do not be afraid or fear not. The message fear not is at the heart of the Christmas story. Fear not, you aren't alone. Fear not, God exists. Fear not, God is personal. Fear not, God is graciously pursuing you. Fear not, God is faithful. Fear not, God never breaks his promises. Fear not, you are not too far gone. Fear not, God never breaks his promises. Fear not, God can restore you regardless of your past. Fear not, forgiveness can still be yours. Fear not, death does not have the final word. Fear not, all that is broken will be fixed. Fear not, the best is still to come. Fear not. That's the message of the Christmas story. The good news has been brought, um, that, and that, that good news is for all people. Today, everything changes. As we look to this story, we are reminded to fear not. A Savior, a Rescuer has come, who is King and Lord. Yes, the world is deeply, deeply broken. We have hope. We can trust amidst the pain and difficulty and troubles that we fear, that we feel to fear not. See, because of Jesus, we have good news. The Creator has come into our story to redeem and make what is broken new. His death and His resurrection reset the trajectory of human history. So we see um, the beholding of the angelic encounter, beholding of the message, and then third, beholding of the song. The song, it says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. So we have that glory, and Excelsis Deo is that, that declaration that we hear throughout the Christmas season. That means glory to God in the highest. So what does glory to God mean? It means high renown and honor 
is yours. It's giving honor and glory and esteem and worship to God. See, in the coming of Jesus, God's name has been made known. His glory has been revealed. In John 1.14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his what? What is this sec? We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what does that mean? That in the coming of Jesus, we see the glory of God. You ever question who God is? What is he like? We can look to the face of Jesus and we can see the glory of God, who God is, full of grace and full of truth. You don't have to question who God is. The glory of God is, in the, is seen in the face of Jesus. And so glory to God means high honor, high esteem is yours. And then it says peace on earth. See, in the coming of Jesus, peace is offered to humanity. Romans 5.1 says, therefore we have been justified, because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Another word for that is Shalom. Not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of something better. The Prince of Peace has come to provide us peace. See, this is that majestic moment. The angels have shown up and they begin to sing the songs of heaven before these shepherds. I'm going to struggle over the next several weeks as I'm like all in the book of Revelation to not reference Revelation on a regular basis. And so I got two references this morning for us that echo, uh, not just echo, are quotes from the book of Revelation. And so John is on the island of Patmos. He's been caught up into these heavenly encounters, these visions that he sees. And the first window that he sees in heaven is a throne. And on the throne, we see worship taking place day and night. These, cre- these creepy creatures that we'll get into in a couple of months are never ceasing from saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're declaring to God glory. What we're seeing in front of the angels or in front of the shepherds is this worship of God. It's a picture of what's happening in heaven where everything around heaven is focused on this throne. See, this isn't future, a future day of worship, but it's a present day of worship. And so we worship in song just a little bit ago, and we're tapping into what's happening in our current moment in heaven. We can enter into that whenever we want because of the blood of Jesus. We can enter into that space of worship that the angels are experiencing. So it says, glory to God and peace on earth. So we see, behold, the angels. We see the behold, the message. We see the beholding of the song. And then lastly, and most importantly, we behold the baby. The one by whom and for whom all of this crazy encounter takes place. The angels, the message, and the song are all pointing to Jesus. See, the earth didn't budge when Jesus came. We know that. We talked about that last week. We see that Mary's in this little barn area. We see these, this manger taking place, and the earth doesn't move. But we see heaven moved everything in this moment. We see in the coming of Jesus that, that as all the stops are pulled out for Jesus. See, he's the one who alone has the power to free us from fear. He is the one who is worthy of such glory and honor. And this is the king who has come 
I told you I'd reference Revelation twice. The second time is uh, right after Revelation 4 where we see this encounter of these, um, this throne. We see uh, there's a lamb next to the throne. This beautiful picture, again, we'll get into in a few months. But this lamb is, is next to the throne. And in it, uh, we, we see this moment where this angel cries out. And John's kind of witnessing this window of, of heaven. And he's, in it, he sees this, this moment take place. And I'll read it to you. It says, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? In other words, who's able to bring about redemption? Who's able to bring forth hope? Who's able to bring forth restoration in this broken world? Who is worthy? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep. John began to weep hopeless in his uh, feeling of who can open this scroll. He began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. He feels the reality that no one is able in heaven, earth, under the earth to bring forth this redemptive plan to restore the brokenness that's within this world. We might feel stuck, helpless, and hopeless as well. Because no one, no thing in earth, heaven, or under the earth can restore what we feel. We can search for it in our career. We can search for it in relationships. We can search for it in money. But they're all hollow. But then in Revelation 5, we read this. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So when we behold the baby, we are beholding the reality of hope that we have, that the baby will come and he will conquer. This is the baby by whom God will bring about his purposes. The baby they would find wrapped in swaddling cloth would then live a life, die a death, rise again to conquer it all. This is the baby who the dragon wants to devour. This is the baby that the dragon wants to kill. And this is the baby who will uh, uh, become an adult and end up slaying the dragon. This is the baby that we read in Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Friends, during Advent, we're invited to behold this one. Not just an idea of hope, not just an idea of joy, not just an idea of love. We're invited to behold a person who came, who is the glory of God. And his name is Jesus. We're invited to behold him. Behold him who is called Emmanuel, God with us. The one who has effortlessly dethroned kings and kingdoms. Who once seemed unapproachable, who has now, because of his cross, been able to invite us into a place of being known and loved. We behold him who is willing to enter into the fray of our mess. I know our lives can feel like a mess at times. And he's not just waiting for you to fix your life, but he's inviting you into the reality that he has entered into your mess and he can bring healing to it. We're invited to behold him who says your darkest and greatest fears can't snatch you from his hand. Friends, regardless of what you're going through, how dark it might feel, he you, no, nothing or no one can snatch you from his hand. Romans 8 says the death, life, demons, people, swords, 
war, pain, suffering, nothing can separate you from his love. We're invited to behold the God of justice who will right every wrong, who will fix everything that's broken. To behold him who swallowed death, who will wipe away every tear, and who will come again and make all things new. We're invited to behold this king, to bow before him, to receive his mercy and love, to follow his ways, to trust in his goodness. So, for those who fear rejection and failure, when we behold, we find a God who so loves us that it can free us from caring about what other people think about us. So for those of us who fear the future, who fear circumstances, when we behold a God, when we behold this God, we find that we cannot have control, but he is in control and he can be trusted. He's not tameable, but he is good. For those who fear death, when we behold, we find a God who because of love overcame death so you could be his forever. So regardless of if Henry Oswatanner was right in his depiction, what we do know is that God has come. We do know that he, he pulled out all the stops, angels came, a message was presented, songs were sung, and a baby was encountered. And because of that baby, we have hope. We have hope, friends. Regardless of what you hear in the news, we have hope. Regardless of what you read, friends, we have hope. Hope that God is at work. Hope that God is not done. Hope that God is active in our life and in our world. In Advent, we remember that he's faithful. Even if we don't see it, we remember that he's faithful. And we trust him. We behold him. Let us behold him in this season. Let's pray. Lord, I know that we come, some of us feeling good, some of us really struggling with some things. And for all of us, let us remember hope. Let us remember that you came. Let us remember that you were sent on a rescue mission and your work is not done. We don't just look back to your first coming. We look forward and we wait and we long and we anticipate that you will finish what you started. Lord, would you move among us? For those of us who just need wind in our sails, God, I pray that you'd supply it. For those of us that feel super confident in where we are right now, I pray you'd humble us. Let our hearts remember that you alone can supply what we need. We give you thanks. You didn't leave us. You didn't leave us as orphans, but you came. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.